Hello everyone. Today with me, I have a woman who has done Sunset Boulevard, Wonderland, Mamma Mia, Love Never Dies, Hairspray, Gypsy, and Jerome Robbins Broadway, just to name a few. I have the incredible Karen Mason. Oh. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm good, Paul. Thank you for having me of on the course. show. So how I know you is through when, so I've shared this story before on the podcast, but I'm insane and I have a... <laughs> I, Welcome. <laughs> I, I have a Google spreadsheet that lists that will like list like that lists a bunch of shows or like a bunch of characters and I'll like list everyone who has done it from like like oh. with the specific productions and whether they were an understudy, an alternate, standby, and or if like they were a previously understudy a pre and so I have so I would see your name a few times. Like I saw your name when I was doing Mamma Mia when I did my Andrew Lloyd Webber page. Um, and so that's how I know you. And then also I know you because I got in contact with you because I was trying to get together um, a Norma Desmond roundtable. I remember that. And I was getting, I got in contact with a few people and I remember I had a few people and then it just started deteriorating. <laughs> Because you know these normas, they yeah. uh, they can't count on them. We had a set date, and then all of a sudden it was just like, okay, wait, now this one can't join, and now this one can't join, and now this one can't join. And so I remember, and that's not me trying to like blame anyone because life happens, and it was when things were starting to open up again, yeah. and so everyone was like, oh, we can go outside, and so, <laughs> so I don't hold that against anyone but like it was just like and then like I literally like and then like when I logged on for the zoom thing it was just me and one other person and I said <laughs> I love you but I don't think this is happening <laughs> that poor one person it was uh, but we had a great talk it was, oh, it was one of the London it was one of the London normas I was from the revival <laughs> and I just remember we talked for a little bit and I just remember and I was just like okay so anyway so that was how I came to know you and <laughs> Um, so before I, cause I have so many questions about Sunset Boulevard because <laughs> right. I love Sunset Boulevard. It's a pretty great show. Pretty I, wild show, yeah. My controversial opinion is that I think it's Angel Lloyd Webber's best score. Wow. That's, <laughs> no, that's great. Listen, I, you know, I, uh, it was always a joy to sing when I got the chance. And it was because it's just, it fits the material so perfectly. It's like haunting, but it's also got that old Hollywood sound. Yeah. While like with Norma's, all of Norma's stuff, it's that old Hollywood sound. And then when you're outside the mansion, it's all that new, not new, but like new for that time period, that new sound. Right. Like it was, yeah, I consider it to be one of his, his best scores. I mean, Cats for me is like, it's, it's between Cats and Sunset Boulevard for me, but also Cats holds a special place in my heart. <laughs> Oh, you know, isn't that the great thing, though, about musicals and, and theater, you know, overall is that when you do get um, touched mm -hmm. by some production, it it stays with you your whole yeah. life. It becomes, the you know, kind of like the baseline for the rest of everything that you appreciate and get mm -hmm. to, you know, get to see. Yeah. So first and foremost, I want to ask you about just a tiny show you were in called Mamma Mia. I know no one's heard of it before. <laughs> <laughs> you were the original Broadway Tanya. I was the party slot. <laughs> 
So what was it like working on this show? Because I don't, I believe it was like, it was one of those, it was similar to like Cats and like Phantom. Like it was coming over from the UK and everyone was like, what is this show? What is this show? So what was that like? Um, yeah, I listen, we had all heard about it. I had auditioned for the Toronto company because they did it in a way that was very different than a lot mm -hmm. of shows coming over. It didn't come directly to New York. It went to Toronto, then it toured yes. the North, you know, North America, and then it came to Broadway. Um, so uh, by the time it got to New York, uh, you know, pretty much the <laughs> people knew exactly what it was because Toronto got, you know, people went crazy. And then every time it was in every city it was in, in North America, people were, you know, going crazy for it. So we had a better idea of what it was. And <clears throat> I mean, I should have been much more aware of all of the ABBA music. <laughs> uh before i i mean you know certainly i knew their big hits and yes they were much bigger in london than they were over mm -hmm. you know in the states but um i auditioned uh you know they they had the calls for auditions and i thought okay so i i saw the the video from london and toronto and uh went into my audition in um I, I bought these very tight um, kind of gold-colored cigarette pants. They're very, very fitting mm -hmm. with a very tight sweater and a very, uh, very lifted-up bra <laughs> and my hair up. You know, I thought if I'm going to, and very high heels, if I'm going to go Important. in for this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want them to see, you know, that I'm I'm going you know, I'm jumping in the deep end. And so I, um, I went to my audition and I had a great time, got a call back, had to wear the outfit again <laughs> and <laughs> travel through the streets of New York. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> when I got the role, um, I, you know, I was in some store that you know the 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 music that they're always playing. You never really mm -hmm. realize what it is. That moment, Dancing Queen was playing, and of course, I probably heard it a bazillion times, yep. but never really consciously heard it until that moment. And um, you know, the cast was amazing. I get to work with um, Judy Kay and Louise Petra, and all of these. You know, I came to appreciate and love all of them so much. It was a very complicated rehearsal period because 9-11 happened. Yeah. And, you know, it was, um, we were in the middle of rehearsal. And to have something that totally traumatized the country, but most specifically New York. And we were rehearsing not too far from it. We were rehearsing at 890 Broadway, which is right above 14th Street. And I was mm -hmm. living on 14th Street at the time, which I think is like a couple of miles from nine, from, uh, you know, the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. So very close. And 
people had, you know, were concerned about their friends and had lost people. And all in the middle of that, we're doing this very fluffy musical. Yeah. It just, you know, you know, I think we appreciated those moments of being together uh, a lot more in the rehearsal space because of that, because of what was happening outside of, of the rehearsal space. And we did have, you know, the artistic staff was all from outside of, you know, they were all from London. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to protect them and share, you know, we did have this big circle where we all sat around the entire cast in a big circle. It was a very large circle. And, you know, just talked with each other about what we were feeling at that moment. It was very therapeutic. But then to open the show, they had decided they they were trying to decide if we were going to open or not. Uh, but when all of Broadway, you know, they they started to make that effort to mm -hmm. open Broadway up. Um, we were all a little concerned that you know, <laughs> I mean, it was a fluffy musical. Yeah, that that was going to be just. Uh, it's it was going to be too weird mm -hmm. and i have never experienced the energy what we came to realize was that it was uh, and i think all of the shows probably felt this it was an opportunity to be away from yes. what was going on outside of the mm -hmm. theater and that energy that came at us on that opening night was a little scary and overwhelming. I mean, it was, Judy Kay turns to me afterwards and she goes, this, I think, is the closest we'll ever come to being in a rock concert. <laughs> you know, and I think she's absolutely right. It was like a, a, a huge wave mm -hmm. of energy that came at us. And, uh, it, you know, that's exhilarating. And you feel like, wow, maybe I'm, you know, doing something that that's good you know that's a positive thing at this moment in the the city's history and in the city's psyche you know as opposed to i'm just doing this really silly little musical you know and thank god i'm working but mm -hmm. um what's going on outside is so horrifying this felt like it it felt like a little it felt like therapy for everybody and it was it was fantastic i i did love doing the musical i um you know i certainly listen we were all human and under a lot of stress mm -hmm. and i think there were a lot of times that um some of that stress started to come into the theater but once that um, you know, bum, 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 yeah. bum, 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 started. I think everybody kind of came together and mm -hmm. I'm still close with, with friends that I made during that show. Judy and I had a, had lunch not too, uh, long ago. And, you know, just to kind of, we shared something very positive, very, mm -hmm. very wonderful. And, you know, when I, um, left after a year, I um I kept my boots. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I am not walking out of here without those 
damn boots. I want my silver boots. So I took my I took my boots. Okay, then I that brings me to another question. Did you steal anything from Sunset? <laughs> you know what? I Because I know Glenn like pretty much she stole everything. She stole <laughs> everything but the house. <laughs> I think she has it in her contract. Honestly, I Yeah. I think, yeah, as Glenn Close, I doubt steals. I think she well, has it in her contract that she can walk off with any whatever the heck she wants. Because I know she took all the costumes because they then reused them all for the revival that she did. Right. And I know, like, I think she said something like they had to be very minimally altered. And I was just like, you, Glenn. <laughs> 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 it's like 50 years later and it only had to be minimally, like, not, oh, no, it wasn't 50. It was like 20 <laughs> or 30 years later. I was like, it only had to be minimally <laughs> altered. I was like, screw you, Glenn. Yeah. Well, you know, minimal is a very subjective word, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, listen, I, I was, the only thing I, I left with, um, I, I didn't take any, I didn't steal anything, because here's the thing, it wasn't mine. Okay. Uh, so oh, I, wait, right, right, right. I remember. Because I was the, the standby, so I couldn't walk off very easily with, um, you know, a costume. <laughs> It would have been a little bit more complicated for me, but I did um, get uh, a piece of the pillow that was used on the couch. Um, so I have this swath of fabric Aww. that was on the couch that was uh, used in Sunset. And um, yeah, I, I kind of treasure that. I Actually, I gave away half of it. To uh, it was I was doing something for um, Night of a Thousand Gowns. That uh, was yeah. It was um, and so I, uh, I I I raffled it off, um, you know, so that somebody could have a piece of the pillow from Sunset Boulevard, the original set. But it would have been hard. I would have loved to have walked off with that jewelry more than anything. I that jewelry was major. Those costumes were amazing. Uh, they were just amazing. Beautiful. Just and that I got my own was oh, right. pretty freaking amazing. Oh, I didn't have to wear hers because I'm very, I'm taller. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have looked silly. <sighs> so before we get into Sunset, I want to ask you about an, a musical you did called Wonderland. Yeah. So you were with the show since its first performance in Tampa. And this was obviously, I don't want to say it was a controversial show, but it just, it had a rocky path. Yeah. And I, you know, and what do you mean by that? Well, because I know that it didn't always get, it didn't get the best reviews in places. And I know that it was constantly changing. Yes. Yeah. Which is actually, shows does, but I know that it's like, it's very also cultish term. It's a very cultish musical. Yeah. Um, you mean now? Yeah, there's there was like there was a there was a Tumblr blog that was dedicated to it. I don't know if it's still there, but no kidding. Wow, I I okay. So uh, I came in when they were going to be going down to Tampa, mm -hmm. um, and oh, I I I loved auditioning for them. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Not all auditions are are not always easy, mm -hmm. and um, but it was so much fun to audition for Frank. And I had known Frank. Um, I met him out in Los Angeles when I was doing Sunset, as a matter of fact. 
And I uh, met him. I did a demo of something for him when he was doing an ASCAP show. It was some weird thing. I met him. Was it and, Jekyll? No, Jekyll and Hyde was before Sunset. No, no. Was it was some, I don't even remember what it was. It might have been some specialty song he mm -hmm. was writing. But I met him and thought, you know, he's um, very funny. I, I always got <laughs> along with Frank very, very well. And so at the audition, you know, I did, I, they gave me the song, they gave me the scenes, which is always handy, you know, so you don't have to try to create what you think they might want. They mm -hmm. give, actually let you know what a concept. And um, so I went in and just had a ball. I just, I thought, you know, just throw it all up on the wall and see if it sticks and had a great time. And as I was leaving, they said, could you come back tomorrow for uh, a callback? And I said, uh, actually, I can't. <laughs> I know this sounds like a lie, but I'm leaving um, tomorrow morning to work on a, a ship. I'm doing, a, you know, like a couple of weeks on a, a, as a, a, a principal performer on a, a, a cruise ship. I can't. And they said, oh, okay, fine. Well, you know, mercifully, I got it anyway. And I had a ball. It was a very complicated rehearsal process mm -hmm. because I thought as Queen of Hearts, the way it was originally envisioned, I thought was that she was kind of one of the stars of the show. And as rehearsals went along, the balance between uh, the Queen of Hearts and, um, you know, a few other characters kind of shifted mm -hmm. a little bit. And um, it was, they were trying to figure it out on our backs. And I was, you know, it's, it, it, when you're not given an awful lot of information, it's very hard to to deliver because you're not sure which direction you're going in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I kept getting these mixed signals from other people outside of the artistic staff. Nobody came to me and said a word. It was like all of these outside voices saying, you know, you need to be funnier. You need to be this. You need to be that. And it's like, Okay, I don't know what that means. You know, if this is the script, you know, I'm kind of prisoner of what you have written and what you've given me. So it was, it was, that was complicated. Um, when we finally got to uh, the sits probe, and I'm giving you the, the down and dirty right now, Paul. You know, okay, so we get to the sits probe. Do you know what that is? That's yes. the orchestra. Okay, yes. that's when everybody comes together, you know, the orchestra's together, the actors are together, and you, mm -hmm. you sing through the score. And suddenly, my one song at that time was off with their heads, and they just went past it. Nobody had said a word to me. So... I went up to the director and I said, I, you know, um, why did we skip off with their heads? 
He goes, well, you know, Karen, we're really not sure what to do with it. Um, you know, we, we might cut it. We might cut part of it. We might. And I said, well, exactly what is the issue? And he said, we're just not sure how it fits in the show. And I said, or how we're going to start it, what we're going to do with it. I said, okay. So I went away and I cried and I called mm -hmm. my husband and my husband said, get back in the ring, which is what he always says to me, get back in the ring, Karen, you know, you've got the job, get back in the ring, figure out a way to make it a great moment, you know, for the show. I thought, okay. So I went back to them and I said, I, I said, um, I have a suggestion that you can use or not use. How about if I, come out and just go off with their heads you give me a chord and i start the song so it's like off with their heads it's the least i can do off with her and let me go from there and i said you know and if we could get bigger and bigger and mm -hmm. bigger and bigger that would be phenomenal that i that's kind of what i do Mm -hmm. So could we do that? And they said, you know, Greg Boyd kind of tilted his head and said, not bad. Um, yeah, let's try that. Okay, so they tried it and it killed. <laughs> and so somehow it stayed in the show where, you know, uh, the Queen of Hearts was doing, who was kind of this very secondary character tertiary even um character they announced that she was going to be doing her cabaret act she has changed so much when it got to broadway she was going to do her cabaret act in the prison you know wonderland prison mm -hmm. and uh you know she wanted to try it out on the prisoners and so basically i just came out and stood center stage all by myself and sang the damn song and with a just a little bit of movement going back and forth and it stopped the show every performance and then <laughs> we get to broadway we we all think they're just going to move the show completely you know lift it and move it and the director, the new director and the new, you know, th they had other visions. And suddenly this really fun moment was changed. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of ruined it. I, I, I think it, it never was quite the same, trying to make it bigger than it was. And it, it just, it, it, it just never quite worked exactly the same. And it made me sad because I, you know, listen, I, I'm a needy actor. I, I love those moments when I'm stopping a show. And, you know, to why did they change that? I don't know. But they did. And so, you know, I, I've always, I always loved the show, even even with all of that. I always thought it was a lot of fun. And I look at the talent that was in that show. 
And I loved the score. I thought the score was brilliant. Frank Wildhorn is very underappreciated in the U.S., which I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand either. Like, I mean, his Jekyll and Hyde score is just incredible, especially in the original production. I mean, because I remember I saw and I was like, okay, the score is pretty good. And then I read this short story in the original short story or whatever it was in college. Yeah. And then going back into it and I was like, no, this score is incredible because it perfectly encapsulates what the story is because it's romantic, but it's also it's gothic. So it's got those dark undertones to it. But it's also got those those that those beautiful ballads of romanticism. Yeah. And I'm just like, this score was so underappreciated. Yeah, I don't I don't quite know what the deal with Frank is, but um, you know this this score that he wrote with wrote with Jack. Um, was just great. I mean, I, 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 every song was different and mm-hmm. had a different personality. Mm-hmm. And the people that they got to perform them, I mean, Jose Lana kills me every time, Love you know, him. with as the got, El Gato. I mean, and the girls, the, the costumes that they had, that some of the magic, I, I believe, some of the magic that they had in Tampa and in Houston, I think they eliminated for Broadway. And, and that's, that was a shame. That was a shame because it is, you know, and, and Frank should be more appreciated here. I, you know, um, what was the one he wrote after Wonderland? Uh, Bonnie and Clyde is oh, a yeah. great score. Oh my God. That's a great score. It's, I, I don't get it. But listen, he's making all kinds of money over in Oh, they Asia, love they love him in Germany. Korea. Yeah. They love him in Korea. And Japan, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think is isn't it in uh, Austria? Isn't he like you know, in Vienna? Doesn't, doesn't he so. have like a couple things running? I over? think he's got a few things in Austria. Yeah. I know that yeah. like they seem to love him everywhere but the US, which I don't understand. I don't either. I don't either. But anyway, I want to move on to Sunset Boulevard now because I have a lot of questions. Okay, hit me. So first and foremost, were you a fan of the movie beforehand? Or had you even seen the movie? Oh, no. No, that was, um, I loved that movie. I don't think I knew it quite as well until I got the role. And then Mm -hmm. I went back and studied it a lot. But I, um, I did love that movie. I mean, it's a very touching story it's a very human story even though it's about this larger than life diva you know i mean especially now that i've gotten older (laughs) it kind of you know touches a lot of chords about Mm -hmm. that feeling of uh you know things changing too fast things when they change how do you keep up so So, no i did love it i did love the movie so what drew you to this piece? I got hired. <laughs> they offered me a role. Oh, they offered it to you? They just like straight up offered it? Or... No. Oh. No. That's the way I was talking. Who was I talking? I was talking, telling a friend the other day. I said, I always envisioned that at this point in my life that people would just, you know, call me at home and offer me <laughs> fantastic opportunities hasn't quite worked out that way in my career. I don't think it, it works out in most careers that way, but 
Um, uh, you know what? I, I auditioned for it. I, uh, I was doing a show called Heartbeats out at Goodspeed at the mm -hmm. time, a show written by Amanda McBroom, who wrote The Rose. And I had to come in from Goodspeed for the audition. And I thought in my own naive, wonderful way that I was auditioning for the role of Norma. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not quite sure what planet I was living on <laughs> at the time. But, uh, you know, I, I got to my audition and um, I didn't have a, uh, they asked for a monologue. And I didn't have a monologue. So I had to, you know bs my way through that one <laughs> and um and they said well would you like to sing the song and i said yes so you know i started the song and you know with one look it was a very long pause because i had not a clue what the next lyric was and i it's like ah <laughs> there's nothing lonelier because at this time and I wish they were back this way. They were still auditioning on Broadway stages. Mm -hmm. So I I loved that. Oh, my God. There's nothing more exciting than auditioning on a Broadway stage. And um, all of a sudden, from the back of the house, I hear, I can break your heart. <laughs> and it was either David Caddick or uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber telling me that. <laughs> Telling me their lyric. And, uh, but I, you know, I got very uh, focused from that moment on and finished the song very powerfully. And obviously they liked it because I got the gig, you know, and they offered me the role of standby for the role of Norma Desmond. And I thought about it because I did think I was being offered the role. <laughs> I did think I was auditioning for that role. Then when I heard who got the role, certainly it all kind of fell mm -hmm. into place. But, um, and I thought, you know what, this is, um, I had had some difficult things happen in my life <clears throat> that I was looking forward to a sudden shift of my music director of 16 years, who I moved to New York with, had passed away in 92. And this was 93. So this was an opportunity to really just get away from New York and um, work on something totally different. Mm -hmm. And I had a great time. I, I have to say that that company of Sunset Boulevard was a very special group of people. I guess most companies, a, a lot, I've been very fortunate, not most companies, a lot of companies are very magical and I, I feel lucky that I've had a lot of those where everybody, you know, we were all, a lot of people were coming in from out of town. And so we socialized different, you know, with each other in a way that a lot of times, if you live in the same city, you don't. Um, and um, to be able to watch Glenn Close because I was the only one in the room that was not working. That's the way that Trevor did it. Um, you know, it was the stage manager and uh, the music director and uh, George and Glenn or, you know, Glenn and Alan 
Um, and I was the only one just sitting there kind of watching. That was my job. And I had never been a cover or anything before. So I did not totally understand all of this. And I kept asking, when am I going to get my rehearsal? <laughs> and a little known fact about um, professional theater is that you don't really get, their focus is not you as much as you think it should be. Their, fo their focus is not you. And so I did not have my, we started rehearsals in August. I didn't have my first real rehearsal until January. And, but, so I'm freaking out all over the place because I'm thinking, I'm having starting to have actor nightmares where, you know, I'm unprepared. So I hired somebody to work with me, a good friend of mine whose name is um, uh, Justin Cohen. And Justin is a great director and would come over to the place I was living at the time in L.A. And we'd work for, you know, a couple hours twice a week. This was all uh, out of my my pocket. Because mm -hmm. I thought, I'm not going to be humiliated. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my job. I'm going to take responsibility for it. And luckily, the dance captain, Darlene Wilson, you know, graciously showed me how to do all the tango. She mm -hmm. would do all the dancing stuff with me. The stage manager was very gracious in letting me, you know, I couldn't be on the stage because they'd have to call a work call for mm -hmm. everyone. So I was, you know, um, <laughs> I was in um, uh, doing stairs, you know, between <laughs> floors. Not, <laughs> yeah, so that I could get used to being yep. on stairs. Yeah. And, you know, and trying to work with facsimiles of props. And uh, the music director... Uh, you know, the assistant assist, I think he was the assistant music director, or maybe he was just the rehearsal pianist. Um, Jeff, uh, he let me, he would work with me and put it down on tape for me so that, you know, I would be prepared and I could work on it and work on it and work on it and work on it. And I have to tell you, by the time I actually got on stage, which you know, was was uh, fairly cheap. Glenn, it's a, it was a five-show weekend. Mm -hmm. And Glenn is a very powerful, strong woman mm -hmm. and was not going to miss. Um, and I think the first time I went on was, you know, like in the new year. And, uh, but the first time I went on, I took like 15 minutes off the show. <laughs> and the stage manager came up to me and he goes, um, now you can breathe. And I, you know, I, from that moment on, I thought, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would do the show every night in my apartment. I didn't have to be there. Sometimes, most of the time, oh, right, yeah. until we opened, um, you know, I would, I went just because, I was in a brand new space and I wanted to be with people who were doing the show. And also I wanted to watch Glenn. I wanted to see what was going on. You know, I wanted to 
to be able to see her the first time in rehearsal do as if we never said goodbye, I think was perhaps one of the most uh, powerful um, experiences. It was really, this was the first time she was singing in front of the company. Mm -hmm. And it was powerful to see how vulnerable, you know, this very strong woman was at that moment. And it was cool. It was really cool. And to watch her, I, you know, I, I, it was a very uh, good masterclass in, you know, but work then on the other hand of that, I'm working with Justin and mm -hmm. we're finding my own Norma. Yep. And that, that's the weird part, the dichotomy of being a cover and a standby is that you have to create, you have to be able to create your own persona without getting in the way of the production or mm -hmm. other actors, you know, and um, I, I think I did a pretty good job of that, actually. <laughs> I don't think I screwed it up for anybody. So obviously, specifically during the LA run, there was a lot of drama going on with everything happening between Patty and then Faye Dunaway. Was that terrifying to be in the middle of all of that? No. No, it had nothing to do with me. Um, I was supposed to, it was more frustrating than anything. Mm -hmm. It wasn't terrifying. I mean, I, it doesn't impact me, <clears throat> selfishly speaking. And, um, you know, I, we heard all of this stuff about Patty. And I mean, you can't, I can't help but be sympathetic to, mm -hmm her how that was treated how she was treated in that respect that's just it's wrong it's mm -hmm. just wrong um i that's you know my two cents on that when faye dunaway came in um <laughs> well they were auditioning a lot of people they were kind of a lot of names were being thrown around mm -hmm. out in los angeles share um was you know i mean there were a lot of very interesting yeah people being thrown around and when faye dunaway when she was finalized um i was supposed to do the time between when glenn left and faye dunaway came in so you know i hired a publicist and <laughs> I got all of this press, you know, who is this girl who's going to be doing it between Glenn Close and, and, uh, Faye Dunaway. Um, and then I was going into my first rehearsal with, I think Rex Smith was coming in as Joe Gillis and he was late. And I thought, well, this doesn't bode well. <laughs> well it turns out he was told not to come because Andrew Lloyd Webber had decided that when Glenn closed the show on Sunday, um, the show was closing. And so all of these, all of these, you know, things that were going on just didn't happen. And people who were moving, I mean, people were moving their lives from New York to Los Angeles to come work on this show. And, um, you know, all of a sudden they're getting, uh, the notice that 
you know, stay where you are. Don't come any farther than Ohio and, you know, come go home because there's no show after Sunday. And the company didn't know it. You know, the company thought they were going to be going on, including yours truly. I thought, you know, the show would just continue. And so it was, uh, it, that was more difficult than, you know, because it, it hit all of us mm-hmm. who were there doing the show um, in a very personal way. That was that was complicated and hard, you know. So when we got to New York, you know, I'm, I was very happy that they asked me to cover Glenn again. And, um, you know, you, it, was, uh, it was a different experience in New York because we had all been doing the show for so long, most mm-hmm. of us. But we had to go back and rehearsal for the new people. And uh, it was um, it was a big old show, and I loved. Uh, it was complicated, and um, there were a lot of very strange and wonderful things that went on. And I'm still friends with a lot of the people who I did the show with. So I think that, you know, it was it was uh, a, a family in a lot of ways. Yeah, I just, I love the show. And I remember you were also in the beautiful Minsk Golf Theater. Oh. Just stunning. Yeah, well, that show looked great in there. I mean, yeah. every time when I would stand in the back and watch um, and hear that, you know, that <laughs> that sound that the the synthesizers and the orchestra when it da 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 Yeah. It just goes right through you, mm-hmm. right through you. It was, it was, um, it was gorgeous. That that set looked amazing, and we had, you know, I on on at one point during I on one of my first um, uh, vacations in Sunset, uh, Paul and I went over to London, and they offered me tickets, and I thought, well, that'll be good for our first night there because we'll be exhausted and we know the show so you know we don't have to really focus and pay attention and their set was beautiful but nothing like the majesty of that moving gorgeous moving set you know yeah there you go yeah oh my god that's so funny i didn't even recognize it (laughs) because you know why the the stairs were on the other side. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, the stairs were on. Uh, as you're as you're looking at it, the stairs were on the left. Oh, interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, but that's is that a um, a rendering? Yeah, it's a rendering. <laughs> yeah, fabulous. Um, so for, I gotta ask, cause those stairs were obviously a bitch. Cause I know Betty, Betty Buckley said, she's like, I had to get like knee surgery after it just cause going yeah. up and down those stairs. Uh, I, now see, I never had, I guess it's because I didn't do it quite as often. <laughs> so my, my knees were spared. Um, and then, well, yeah. no, and then I have a question about this set. Cause I don't know if this is true or not. Um, so all of like the stuff around, like all like the, like the Norma Desmond statues and paintings, they had ones made for every Norma. You know what that I don't know. Okay. 
That I don't know. I I wouldn't think so. Most, I mean, the paintings I can understand. The I know they did the. Um, I know they. I, I don't think so. I okay. think maybe the pictures. Yeah. But I, the this the the you know like at the top like at the at the uh, that bottom of the stairs mm -hmm. there's that and it looks you know it she kind of like yes goes and touches it and i i don't think they change that because it's kind of it's close enough yeah and nobody's that close mm -hmm. so i don't think they changed it, but uh, you know they might have done it the pictures and stuff like that. yeah i know at the ending they did everybody got their own film yes at the end i they never used mine um i still have it actually and uh they never used mine so i got to be whoever i was covering <laughs> <laughs> which at first and you know it was like really yeah. and i didn't i didn't you know fine whatever you know i'm far enough away i could look like any of them you know from so far now, away yeah. and bad and big makeup so how did you approach this role of norma desmond because she does so much i mean in that first scene alone she's like you there and then she comes down the stairs she sings this grieving ballad to a monkey and then she does this <laughs> and then she does this power ballad about like longing to be back on the screen and then she goes and then she like goes into this like whole salamate like she does so much in those first 15 right. minutes right. it's great isn't it yeah i mean you really do get an idea of who this who she is persona is um when justin and i were working on it we um i you know i really loved the idea that for my norma and again i had to do it within i had watched a lot of I had watched a lot of uh, silent films. Mm -hmm. So my Norma was going to be a girl from the Midwest who had just been uh, plucked out of, uh, you know, her, her town by somebody who discovered her and at the age of 15 and put into movies. And suddenly, you know, over the years, uh, there was a magic there and she became this huge star so that kind of kept it a little closer to mm -hmm. the vest for me um i don't know what all the other ladies um uh you know created but for me if i start from um you know she's been she's been at home a long time and um and as you, this was somebody, okay, so to be honest with you, I the first close-up I ever got of a, a big, huge star was watching mm -hmm. Glenn. Yeah. And it was really interesting because there is a, there is, as people are um, used to getting, that what they say has impact there is um there is a way that they act and react that is different than the rest of us who feel like they have to fight to be heard 
Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I was able to watch her. And that was really uh, kind of uh, informative to me. Um, that you do expect. So every night I would, you know, this woman is going out to say goodbye to her very good friend. You know, this is crushing to her. You know, she's lost a pet. And if you've ever, do you have pets? I did. I had one, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's big. Mm, Oh, yeah. You know, when you lose that pet, that is big. So for her to come out and sing, you know, this beautiful, I think it's a beautiful song. It's one of my favorites. Um, to come out and sing that to, you know, nobody knows until she pulls it back, you know, that it's a monkey. But, um, you know, that her heart is, she's just kind of exposing it. And then she turns around and sees this stranger there. It's, you know, um, you know, what do you do? I mean, it totally flusters her and she goes back to, I'm Norma now, mm-hmm. you know, and it was once I got into the rhythm of her, I loved every second uh, it, but it was finding that rhythm for myself and being able to get that rhythm pretty quickly because I didn't have the luxury of eight times a week mm-hmm. or a lot of rehearsals. Um the show itself really does guide you in that direction, you know, to answer your question. Uh, if you just are there in the moment, it takes you exactly where you need to go, you know. So she's, you know, you, how dare you? I'm going to, you know, with one look, I could devastate people, mm-hmm. you know. And, but within that, because she, is so out of a time Mm -hmm. it's very you don't have to make it heartbreaking it is heartbreaking you know if you can just be that person who needs to tell you pay attention to me because people used to pay attention you know you have to you hear me now you know and then when she gets to salome it's like Come on, how much fun was that? You know, with the the string, with the ribbon and the, you know, she's just, she's, she's, you cannot be subtle with Norma. And that was a lot of fun. I, yeah, and I just, I know it's one of my, it's one of my favorite things to watch is just the differences in how different Normas do Salome. Yeah. And just because Glenn, it's very like, it's just... It's that Glenn, like that, just, it's just Glenn. And then Betty, it's like, I don't want to say campy, but it's a little bit more like boisterous, I think is the word I want. And then you, what I found fascinating about yours was that it was almost, and don't take this the wrong way, but it was almost like childlike. Well, that's fine. Because to me, (laughs) that's when she was discovered. That's when she was her, you know, that i i love that you know that's great yeah like there was this innocence about it that she was just like like normal was just like norma's like norma's like i'm gonna go i'm gonna be able to go back to what i'm supposed to be doing 
and she was almost like it was just so i was like it was such a different way to do the number i felt oh thank you you're welcome thanks and that was one of the things i just found because like again it was just like there was like this childlike glee about it that was <laughs> that just made it all the more heartbreaking because you're like you know because the audience knows like this is never gonna happen yeah right 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 this you know and I knew, listen, I couldn't go out and be Glenn Close. I, you know, or, or any of the other ladies that I covered. Um, so I had to somehow find my own way through it. And, you know, uh, what I have as part of my talent is I think I do have, uh, and innocence is an interesting word you know, a childlike quality about every time I sing, I'm really enjoying it, <laughs> you know? And so she wanted to take him back to that moment when she just loved every second of it. You know, it wasn't, I'm going to show you. It was, let me show you how, you know, mm -hmm. joyous it was. So now I just have a few quick, like rapid fire questions okay, about sunset. <laughs> do you have a favorite costume oh yeah yeah it's the one where she's watching um the uh film it's the green silver oh yes the jumpsuit the silver the thing yeah you know and fur uh, listen I, I as much as it's it's not correct I, wearing fur just makes you feel <laughs> glamorous and I had four bazillion beads on me it mm -hmm. was very heavy you know running up the stairs in that jacket was very difficult because it weighed a ton and so oh, the, you, the giant fur leopard thing yeah no 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 oh. no well all of them weighed the, <laughs> the, the beading um the beading on that that silver jumpsuit yeah as a matter of fact, I think on a couple of the other ladies who were doing it eight times a week, they removed a lot of the beading in the back mm -hmm. because it was so heavy, but they didn't do that to my... <laughs> <laughs> they said, she's only going to do it like once a week. She has to suffer. Yeah, she's going to suffer. <laughs> and so I, I didn't, I had all the beading and it was like, whoa, going up the steps, you know, it kind of pulled you back. But that was one of my favorites, one of my favorites. Do you have a favorite song? Um, I think the uh, uh, No More Wars to Fight, mm -hmm. White Flags Fly Tonight, oh, yeah, the one to the monkey. Yes. It's so beautiful. It's so haunting and beautiful. Um, I do find that people respond to as if we've never said goodbye. I do it in my club act. Mm -hmm. And it's they do really respond to that song. And I've kind of found a way of doing it now that's very personal um which is nice and then do you have a favorite line <laughs> my husband and i laugh at i've lost half a pound since tuesday <laughs> <laughs> he'll come out sometimes and he'll just say that to me <laughs> so i think that is my favorite line so now I want to talk to you about the, another Android Weber show you did. You were in the tour of Love Never Dies. Yeah. Which is, it's a controversial piece for some people because, you know, everyone, like, there are people who are, like, so in love with Phantom and they're like, how 
dare he do this because they're like they're like well it just changes everything and i'm like it's a good show and it's a musical i think you really have to like keep it in. you know it's not no one's no one's it's not gonna it's not earth shattering it's just it's a musical and i it is a good show and i love that they you know are revisiting some of these characters I think it's I, great. I love it because I think it gives, I know, and a lot of people, I know a lot of people are like, well, it also completely rewrites the characters because it doesn't fit with what they did in the first show. And I was like, no, but it does. I was like, people are like, well, now Ralph's a drunk and that doesn't make any sense. I was like, the man almost died. <laughs> the man almost died. I was like, if he did not become a drunk, I would have been very impressed. <laughs> like That's so funny that people are so protective of those characters. I mean, that that's, that's lovely. And yet, you know, uh, listen, I life moves on and those characters moved on. And some of it doesn't totally jibe with uh, Phantom. Um, my character is probably pretty clear of that, you know, the Madame Giri. Um, and I... Uh, but I have to say, what Simon Phillips did with this show really showed it off so beautifully and made it into something so special that, I mean, I really was surprised when they decided not to bring it to Broadway. Um, Me too. Yeah, I mean, we got great response on the road. and It was I, just stunning. Where did you see it? I unfortunately I didn't get to see it live oh. because when it toured I was in college and I didn't have a car oh. my oh. freshman year yeah so or it was like so I went to college up in New York in Edithica oh um and I lived in New I live like 30 minutes from Philly in New Jersey yeah and so whenever when it was in Philly I was up at college. oh sure yeah 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 or like more like when it was up there i it was like in buffalo which is like three hours away and yeah i made that trek once for the cats tour and i was like but i was like but i was like i couldn't find anyone to be like hey do you want to drive three hours with me in a car to go see the show <laughs> yeah <laughs> that not a lot of people like <laughs> and so it was just but i did i got to watch the um the australian pro shoot which i yeah. It was just, I mean, I had Sharon Millerchip on the podcast, who was Meg, and it was, it's just, I mean, I think it was, it was so, because what they tried to do with the London production, it was almost like they tried to re, it was almost like they tried to apply the How Prince formula mm. to Love Never Dies, like, you know, making it like black box and making it like that. And it just, you can't recreate it unless you have those people there. Right. Right. Whereas with the Australian production, they fully let it, they fully dove into the whole like the Coney Island, the freak show aspect. Oh my God. It. it was so fabulous. It was so beautiful, eerie, beautiful, mm -hmm. but not, it was dark, but it wasn't, um, it, 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 it was still kind of inviting, you know, it was yes. intriguing. And that whole freak show, Coney this Island thing was, phenomenal i mean and just i know like even you guys toured with like when i heard that they were going to be touring with this production i was like okay well how much are they going to cut and i saw like the photos and like you, and i also saw bootlegs of it you guys didn't cut really anything you tore with the massive 
tour with the massive roller coasters. We yeah. toured with the turntable. Right. We I, had mean, one, I think we had one less turntable. Okay. Yeah. And I just remember, like, it was my friend Samuel saw it, and he was raving about it. Like, Oh, I'm so glad. See, I mean, people loved it. And the when they told us, we were in Los Angeles, when they told us they weren't going to be bringing it in. And it was very disheartening for all of us. Because I, you know, I loved doing the show. I loved our cast. I loved... um. I loved the music. I loved what I got to do. Oh my I love closing act one. <laughs> oh my God. One of my, she, Madame Giri had some of my favorite lines in that show with the closing of act one and just then when all like the freaks and like those glass cases lit up. And then, I mean, one of my favorite parts in the whole show, specifically with how Mariah Mercedes says, does it, is it's perhaps she won't go on, perhaps she'll lose her nerve. Perhaps her voice won't serve and she will fail him now. And then my child and I will get what we deserve. Devil yeah. take the highmost. I just, first off, I love that quartet in general. Yeah, I know. I loved, yeah, that was so much fun to sing. And we worked really hard on it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes doing it seven, eight times, a, you know, in rehearsal. Well, because I think it's just one of those things where it's like everything has to be so... Because, right. you know, you've got the Gustav who's just vocalizing like an angel. And then you've got the guys who are like rigging all the sets going like ready below and all that stuff, which yeah. I think was just a cool addition. And then you have the Phantom and then you have Raoul and then you have Madame Giri and all coming in singing different parts. And it's just and then the final part with Meg where she sings Devil Take the Heimos. It's just so many things going in that were just that it easily could have been a mess, but it was so beautifully yeah, and yeah. done. Yeah, thank you. You're yeah. welcome. So now, how did you, uh, were you approached to original, to star in Phantom at all, or? <laughs> to star in Phantom? <laughs> well, not like, I mean, like, as Madame Giri or, like, one of the, like, because. I auditioned for them um, three times. And um, the last time, <sighs> I, listen, Madame Giri sings very high at, at a certain point in the show. In Phantom, and, or? In Phantom. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she seems like a you know an F, and they want wait, a very, Jerry? Yeah, oh yeah, and they want it. They, it's like they're I not going to. Carlotta that sang all those high notes. He does, but Jerry pops up oh, there. I did not at, know that. In in some you know where they're all singing some other quartet, and she pops up and probably sings. one of the managers. <laughs> and it's like. You couldn't have somebody else sing that. Um, so <laughs> they have to make something to do. <laughs> yeah, come on. And somebody's got those notes to pop in there, but that was not their plan. And so when they called me in to audition for Jiri in Love Never Dies, I said, I can't sing it. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to go in and be humiliated again. And um, my agent said, oh, no, we'll send you the music. You know, it's very different. So they sent me the music, and it was about, it was lower. You know, it's like Jerry moves to Coney Island and her voice drops. <laughs> and uh, that was like, great. This could not fit me more perfectly. Could not. It was just right in that pocket of my voice. So I was... Thrilled. I sang it the first time for uh, 
Kristen Blodgett. Love and her. Then, oh, she's she's life. She's amazing. She's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and she uh they brought me in to put me on tape. Oh, it was was it yeah, it was tape to send to um uh Andrew. And um then I found out I got the role. And that was pretty exciting. You know, I I had never been on a tour. So I was looking right. forward to it. Yeah. And um yeah, it was a lot of fun. And getting to work with Simon Phillips, uh anytime. Anytime he wants to hire me. I I found him I've never laughed so much in a rehearsal and it and gotten so much done. So and now I, how yeah. So how did you approach, I mean, this is another generic, like, how did you approach manager? Because obviously she's very complex in this piece. And I know a lot of people are like, well, it goes against her character in the first one. And Why I'm like, does it go against her character? Well, because they're like, well, in the first one, they're like, she's very loving and all this towards the Phantom. And then in the second one, they're like, she's all like, ooh, she's like, fuck this man and all he does. And I was like, but look at what she did for him. Right. I think it more than anything, yes, I think See, I never really saw Jiri as loving and phantom. I mean, I get—I don't. I mean, she's for me, the ballet like, mistress, you know. So yeah. she, her demands are: she's very strict, very demanding. Um, yes, she saved him, mm -hmm. and I think in a lot of ways she probably has been in love with him. You know, this was my take. Um. But he's about, you know, he's never fallen out of love with Christine. Right. And so that, you know, many years after you've saved somebody and done somebody all these favors, you know, all this, all these solids, and then they're <laughs> still in love with somebody else. Of course, your daughter in a prostitution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, yeah, she, she's kind of gone off the deep end a little bit. And she's trying to. She's trying to survive. Mm -hmm. More than anything, she's a survivor. And she and, you know, the Phantom own this. And she's she's just trying to survive. It's, a, you know, it's... It was an ugly world. And for a, a lone woman with a daughter, not easy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's had Especially to Especially at that time. <laughs> yeah. She's had to make some decisions that are not great and you know and she's eventually pays the price for it you know but um that being said i to me she's just a woman who is just trying to put one foot in front of the next you know and and make sure she's around for that next step yeah, I just remember, I just love, because I just love that character. So I love both of the Jiris and Love Never Dies, because they were so different from, because they were so much meatier than they yeah. were in the first shows. I mean, I, like, it's just, like, it's, like, I, yeah, and it's just, it's so, I just, I love, because it's so much, there's so much more, in my opinion, to dig into with Love Never Dies than there is with Phantom, because it's really hard to, achieve like it's it's been tribal like i mean just what hal prince did with the original production it's like it's it's you can't really 
improve upon that and what you did. I mean, just from, and so it's just. Well, you don't really, I don't think, get to know the Phantom the same way. Mm -hmm. You don't get to know Jiri the same way or Meg. Um, You know, I, those are those secondary, even Raul, you don't, you know, it's kind of, everybody's young and in love and this and now they're old and depressed and now you get to see life has not been easy for them you know and um you know and things happen Mm -hmm. all right well thank you so much for joining me karen thank you paul it's been a pleasure i just have a few three final questions for you (laughs) okay and they're the worst questions with the hard-hitting journalism. Um, first and Your foremost... favorite color. Yeah. First and foremost, where can the people find you online? Oh, well, this is... I can answer this one pretty easily. <laughs> www.karenmason.com But I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Not particularly as adept at Instagram, but Facebook. I'm... I'm... I'm better. <laughs> is there... Anything you want to plug or promote? I would love to. Um, I have eight CDs, uh, but you can get all of the music on, um, uh, you know, if you want to download it on iTunes or CD Baby. Um, I think I I have a Spotify channel if you want to go listen to me there. Uh, And I'll be doing, I do an awful lot of uh, nightclubs and cabarets. Uh, I'm going to be doing a place here in New York called Chelsea Table and Stage. I've been there once before. It's beautiful. Oh, it is. It's beautiful. And they have great food, too, which is a plus. Yes. Um, September 28th at 7 p.m. It's a Thursday. And we'll have tickets ranging from 25 to 45. So you can, you know, um, you don't have an excuse not to come. (laughs) And, um, you know, I will be in Chicago November 11th through 14th uh, for the 25th anniversary uh, celebration of a club I opened there called Davenport's. And then back at Birdland in December to do my Christmas show. So, um, you know, with a couple of other things in between, we're recording a new CD of Candor and Ebb music, which I did the Candor and Ebb show. So, um, yeah, got, you know, some things happening. I watched a performance of your um, Kiss of the Spider Woman before you. Oh. Before, it was from, I was, you were in a tent. That's all I remember. <laughs> it was honoring uh, Cheetah, as a matter of fact. Oh. And she, if you if you watch to the end, she's the one who stands up. Oh. Which was so cool. Cheetah you know, is just. She's everything. She is so great. Just, a, she's a pistol and she's, you know, kind and funny and you know and sassy (laughs) and just great and then my final question for you is is there a lady you would love to have lunch with um they can be dead or alive (laughs) does it have to be in show business (laughs) no it doesn't my only rule is they can't be a fictional character okay Uh, well that makes <laughs> I would l- the oh one oh one. It can be more than one. It can like you can lift a few. You can list a few if you want. Okay, I would love to have uh, lunch with Deborah Carr, who's an actor. 
love because her. I loved her. And I, I wanted to, you know, just to find out what it was like during that period of time. I love her story about working with uh, Marnie Nixon in the recording studio for The King and I, because apparently they were like, they became, allegedly they became like such good friends during oh, it. Really? Because, um, uh, because uh, with 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 uh, the role of Anna, there's obviously a lot of songs where it's like talking and then singing, talking and then yes. singing. Yeah. And you know, typically they do it like you know, like well, we'll record the singing this time, and then we'll record the talking. And apparently, Deborah was just like, let's just record it together. That's easiest. Jeez. And then she would. She apparently she fought for Marnie to get better pay. Um, and also oh, a ticket wow. to the opening night. Oh. Um. And apparently one time when they were recording, um, what, shall I tell you what I think of you, which was eventually cut, um, which I think they shouldn't have cut it. Apparently, like, cause it's a bunch of like, you know, speaking and then singing, speaking and then singing specifically with that song. Apparently one time Deborah just completely forgot to talk because she was just so enamored with Marnie's ability to oh, just like wow. to mimic Deborah and just her voice in general that they then had to like re-record the entire song and she was like i'm sorry i'm sorry she just <laughs> so apparently they became like really good friends during oh, that i experience. love that and the other is michelle obama you're like the fifth Cause... person to say michelle obama so yeah well listen she's a chicagoan so i grew up in oh. chicago so oh i didn't know i love chicago yeah i love chicago and i went there I once with talk. my mom because my mom had a nursing conference there oh and so I just freeloaded off her and I stayed in the hotel room. We were at the Hyatt where I think it was Al Capone once lived. Oh, wow. Um, and I remember what I loved was I loved, because we were right by the waterfront. I would, I biked all over there because they yeah. had like those Uber bikes. Um, and I would, and I biked, like I biked to the museum. I biked to, like the aquarium and the natural history museum. Oh, it's just gorgeous. I biked all because yeah. then also the sidewalks were wide enough where right. you could In the lakefront. <clears throat> you can just be on the lakefront. Oh, I literally, I biked for, I want to say it was like two miles. I just kept going like on the lakefront like thing. And I just kept going. Yeah. And I was like, cause it was so, it was beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful city. So, you know, I mean just because of the power of of who she is mm -hmm. i would you know there's something kind of fascinating about her mm -hmm. and she's just she's midwestern she's so midwestern <laughs> Alrighty, thank you so much for joining me karen it was so great getting to talk to you you too thank you so much i will see you all next week Bye bye so here's to the girls on the go, everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know, everybody dies. A toast to that invincible bunch, the dinosaurs surviving the crunch. Let's hear it for the ladies who lunch, everybody run.